Crow, boom, 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 crow, boom, 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 crow, boom, 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 crow, boom. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Great Show of the Galaxy. My name is Emma Foster, and Acolyte of Crow is just the mic. How are you, sir? We just nearly killed Mike doing that. Uh, so, yes, as you may have guessed, we the key to time quest continues on the power of crawl. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm a bit worried we just talked about the best part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, so. Uh, okay, so, huge fucking squid. <laughs> yeah, you know what, it's... If people who know me in real life and people who've listened to this show a lot, I don't know you poor buggers. Um, you you know that I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, this sort of shit. It's the closest thing to Cthulhu that Doctor Who's ever done. Yeah. So this should we should be about this, but um, yeah, I mean you've got to admire the ambition of the size of the bloody thing, haven't you? If nothing else. Well, yes, yeah. I mean they certainly gave it a go. I can't say it was a good go, but you know, I mean the model itself doesn't look too bad actually it's just when it's putting up against the refinery or when they mix it in with location shooting or when you have the giant tentacles that are entrapping people and it's not very convincing (laughs) oh dear anyway so shall we begin at the beginning okay so from the dvd box searching for the fifth segment of the key to time the tracer brings the tardis to the treacherous swamps of the third moon of the planet delta magna the Doctor and Romana soon uncover a plot to wipe out the swampies of the local inhabitants by the duplicitous crew of a gas refinery. Meanwhile, a massive creature, Crawl, is stirring beneath the waters and the primitive swampies believe that the only way to calm the powerful monster is human sacrifice. Of course, he wouldn't just like a nice cup of tea and a sit down. Yeah. Um, so, so, I must say, the back of the DVD makes it sound, I would say, 20 to 30% more interesting than it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, we start with the TARDIS materialising in a giant swamp, which is a super good excuse to not have K9 in this story. Yeah. Well, I have to say, though, that actually is a pretty impressive shot. It's You can only just like barely see the top of the TARDIS amongst all like the reeds and stuff. So it's, it's good. It's like a bit of atmosphere. Yeah, it's, it's a good start. It gets you gets the gets the juices flowing, so to speak. I've actually been to this location. It's um, not far from where we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when I, I say not far, it's sort of a... It's a day trip, you know, but um, yeah. I can confirm it's just as soggy and reedy as it ever was. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, for a ship in through the, the, the quagmire for uh, the segment to the key to time. And um, don't match you. They, I feel like they're not really that fussed about it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what the weird thing was, though? When I was doing some research, like, just around from, like, watching the DVD, I came across a review by the AV Club on this story, and they make an actually really good point. Previously, so, like, the, the Key to Time segments have just sort of been this little sort of MacGuffin for the Doctor mm. and Romana to find, like, in between the shenanigans and goings on of the actual story. But here, the segment actually sort of causes the problem. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. I didn't actually think of it like that. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like, Crawl swallows the segment, like, mutates, and then, like, the swampy religion, so, like, turns into this sort of death cult, and then Crawl's massiveness creates the these, like, methane reserves, which brings the humans down to set up the, the refinery. 
That's actually a really excellent point because I hadn't really thought of it like that because I was sort of, when I was thinking about this story um, last night, I was, with something we'll come on to, but again, a bit like our previous story in this whole saga, it, it does sort of feel like the key is a subject of great disinterest to everybody involved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It's, I mean, it's, I, I think this is, again, was probably go into this in more detail when we like do the wrap up show but yeah. it's it's really starting to sort of drag now it's it, it it's, is it's getting increasingly more sort of i wouldn't say shoehorned but it's more sort of well the writers sort of seem to be treating it as an inconvenience mm-hmm. rather than as a plot point to build a story around mm-hmm. it's like i've got this story and oh, i've got a shoehorn the key to farm into it somewhere right mm-hmm. rather than we're on the quest for the key to time and it's got a you know, it's it's the central tenant of this show, so we've got to do something about it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it, that's the way it feels to me, and I think I've I've got some criticisms, especially of um, of the guys going for Tom and uh, Mary Tam as we go forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so uh, as we as we go on to the episode, we, we are now introduced to our uh, our two opposing sides, as we mm-hmm. must have in these stories. It seems we have the the colonial powers, if you will, yeah, and the swampies. And if you didn't get that, ladies and gentlemen, I can't help you because it could not be more nailed on that this is not a very, not a very th- thickly disguised um, allegory of sort of a this, especially this country, sort of colonial past. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's kind of like weird when you think about the swampies. Nobody ever calls them by anything other than the swampies. Swampies. Which I, it's it's a bit. This was by Robert Holmes, and is yeah. Let's be honest; it's really not one of his best efforts. I think was it again? He sort of had to write this at the last minute or something. Or yes, yeah. That, that's what it. According to the info text, that's that seems what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's a bit of that. It's a bit. Of, yeah, it's a bit of that. But it's a bit of King Kong with the sacrifice. And um, but what's weird about this script is that, like you say, no one ever calls them anything but the Swampies, mm-hmm. the Swampies included. Whereas the Swampies, to me, sounds like some sort of awful kind of racial epithet, which well, is it is, them. yeah, it, it is, it entirely is, yeah. But the story doesn't really seem to challenge that idea. No, it doesn't. I mean, because the guys at the refinery are all saying the savages, they're this, they're that. And you think, well, that can't be true, but everything you see them do is, yeah, there's, there's nothing straight into that cliche. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they don't, uh, I don't want to say they earn that uh, title, but no. you don't, like you say, you don't really see them, you don't like see sort of like learned men or anything like that. They're all, where are all six? Yeah. How, how do they reproduce? You know, what's say so this strict no girls club at the swamp at swampy hq it seems like oh. so say ew <laughs> perhaps they lay eggs or something yeah maybe but it seems so strange that okay so the idea of if you're going to do a story which is explicitly about you know quite obviously sort of trying to set this up as a colonial thing especially when you've got you know the guys in the base they've got you know all their big uniforms and their gun belts and their huge blunderbusses and like mm-hmm. um you know, they've even got, you know, I hate to say native, you know, uh, servant. Yeah. Who they shit. You know, it's just like, I don't, you would think that people would be calling them out on it. The Doctor mm-hmm. especially. But. Yeah. He's not helping this episode one little bit with this. No. 
as well. I mean, because I mean, it, it, it's another one of those stories that when you think about anything with how the Swampies came to be there, because you're told that they, this is some sort of renovation for them after they've been moved somewhere mm-hmm. from somewhere. But they seem to just be humans that are green. It doesn't really seem to be that they're some sort of separate race or where they came from. Because it seems like they just came from Earth. But then, like... Yeah, it's it's the sort of, like... You know, there's nothing... You know, if they had, like, webbed hands or feet or something... They keep putting everyone dry foot, but they've got dry feet. Yeah. It's, it's like slightly damp if... Uh... I was going to say, they just live in, like, you know... Perhaps they just live by... It's like living by the seaside. Yeah. It's like calling me like me calling everyone else a dry foot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this very strange arrangement... Mm-hmm. Because for me, I mean, because obviously, I think, I don't know, because I haven't watched Kroll in its entirety for so long, but it just seems so, this arrangement just, I think it's probably, it's got to be one of the laziest Doctor mm. Who setups that we've had for some quite some time in that, you know, you've got one lot opposing another lot uh, for no clearly defined reason, really, just because, mm-hmm. well, apart from, you know, obviously there's there's this stuff there that they want, but you just you sort of just put these two groups in opposition, but they they sort of go you know well that will do they take each other. Um, yeah. There's no really any attempt to explain that or for the doctors to challenge that or for um, you know for to meet like you say meet like a, a learned person from the swampies or really get into this whole sons of earth thing mm-hmm. that is sort of just thrown in there for no reason so. I don't really know. It's just so strange. Yeah. And like you say, the Doctor really doesn't help the situation because he calls the natives, if you will, the Swampies. There's there's no attempt really on his part or Romana's part. I mean, Romana can sort of understand because she's sort of like still sort of fresh out of the academy. She hasn't done a lot of travelling, so she'd have this sort of like sort of snobbish sort of view of things. like So like when she's like... Um, sort of scoffs at when she's tied up <laughs> waiting to be sacrificed to crawl mm. or the bloke in the suit rather um, and she sort of just calls it sort of, you know political mumbo jumbo or whatever see mm. that you can understand that but you know the doctor like I say he doesn't really sort of like try to do any sort of bridge building no you know what I mean I mean even at the end when it's just when um um, Philip Madoc's character, I think it's Fenner, is it? He's the last like man, that, yeah. Yeah, he's like the last man standing, and he's sort of outnumbered by swampies. And uh, he got the doctor says to him, "Oh, don't worry, some of you will be along to pick you up." But uh, in the meantime, why don't you like go native for a bit? And you know the the natives are like standing around him, <laughs> clearly looking like they want to murder him. Yeah, because remember the gods just been destroyed. There, the only person who had any semblance of leader, the high priest. Is has been consumed by his god, as as you must in these stories, and um, everyone else on the base is dead because there's probably only three people work there. Um, and yeah, you feel like he's going to get a spear up the bum about ten seconds after the doctor walks out the door. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just the way they're sort of like glaring at him. Yeah, you feel oh. like this isn't going to end well for him. No. It was, you know, I mean, because again, because there's been no bridge building, it's not like the swampies like, oh, all right, then dry foot, you know, we'll, we'll take you for a cup of tea while you wait for this bloke to come. You need someone to come and pick you up. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, anyway, so let's let's get back on, get back onto what's been happening. So, 
after we've made a brief visit to perhaps the most generic Doctor Who base of all time, we then go at least outside to the to the swamp, which is a bit different actually for us because we haven't really seen many environments like that. Yeah, I, I mean it does make a nice change. It is very sort of like atmospheric. Um, yes. I think, but the thing of it is, I mean, this moon of Delta Magna is supposed to have like low gravity and like very thin atmosphere, but nobody really seems to be that bothered by it, unfortunately. No, no. I mean, it would have maybe a tribute of uh, it helps explain why Kroll can reach an enormous size and live still. But mm. um, no, you don't see anyone like, you know, doing a bit of John Carter of Mars and like, you know, jumping in mighty bounds across the landscape. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, so then we're introduced to the inexplicable gun runner character. In this. Yeah. I mean, I, this seems to be like a recurring theme throughout the key to time. There's always somebody with like a. <laughs> non sort of RP accent. Yeah, who's obviously the baddie because yeah. obviously, mm. um, not really the baddie again. But it's we, obviously you find out as the story goes on that he was hired by the guys on the, the, the your man on the base to stitch up the swampies and basically give them a reason for them to be wiped out on mass. But mm. you sort of wonder how the swampies, you know, unless you just unless you just sort of turned up. And said, "Yo, you need some help. I see. Yeah. Would you like some? Would you like me to sell you some guns? You know, when did the swamp? Who gave the swampies his number? Yeah, exactly. To stitch him up in the first place. You see what I mean? Yeah, I mean that, that could literally be the only way that happened. Like he just yeah. like rolled up to them one day and went, "Hey, I've been sent by the Sons of Earth. They're sort of like they're they're sympathetic to your plight. Here's some guns. That you know, we can we can help kick out the dry foots. I mean, that's the, literally the only way that." could have started yeah it's just very again it's a sort of thing of like well we need all these pieces to make this like a doctor who story in inverted mm. commas so better just put this guy in and you know just hand wave all the details yeah um because everyone's attention is going to be taken away by the enormous monster <laughs> um so of course inevitably within about 0.5 of a femtosecond of everyone turning up a runner gets captured mm-hmm. you know with a pretty low effort <laughs> yeah um, capturing I mean, again it's sort of like this thing of like you sort of it almost a feeling of going through the motions with this in that they have we have to split up mm-hmm. the doctor and romana and we have to put them in the separate camps yep so off goes romana um and off to the sa- basically he was compared to the sacrifice scene which i'm not being funny it seems to take 98 years <laughs> <laughs> they need to chant, I feel, for hours and hours and hours. Even after they stick her in the thing and they double speed up to crawl, 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 crawl. Mm-hmm. Dude, for ages. <laughs> yeah. If anyone turns up, it's like, you know, it's got to be a bit like, come on, yeah. let's go, you know. <laughs> a bit of urgency about this. Mm. Well, I mean, one thing I do like, especially what happens in part two about uh, Romana getting menaced by the claws, is it turns yes. out just to be a bloke in a suit, which yeah, I, I, always... do, I do like that, yeah. That is good. I do like that. <laughs> it, obviously, it's, it works. It's most effective the first time you see this story, because, mm. you know, or, sorry, everyone, a spoiler alert for this, but um, this really only works if you've never seen this before and you don't know who's doing what. So it, it sort of, it's the most... It, it sort of it only works then, really. So mm-hmm. when you don't know that there's a humongous monster, you can sort of go, oh, well, it's just this stupid superstition that these guys have. And it's just like, you know, this ritual mm-hmm. blood sacrifice. But it's done by this bloke and not by some monster. So, But mm-hmm. unfortunately, if you've seen this more than once, mm-hmm. the shock is rather diminished. Yeah, it is rather. 
they, I mean, at least, you know, at least they sort of put... I mean, because if this was like the story previous or some of the other stories we've had in this scene, it would have been a, a monster you see once. Yeah. And oh, never see it again. Yeah, at least they do sort of like make a joke out of it rather than just be the tar and wood beast or the shivens out. Yeah, which exactly. Are just, which are just sort of like there and they sort of like go... Okay, yeah, it's not very convincing, but can you go with it, please? <laughs> can you just pretend, please? Yeah. Meanwhile, the doctor's swanning about on the base, um, mm-hmm. basically just trying to break his way. Uh, I mean, it's, again, it's one of our favourite Doctor Who cliches of the doctor turns up to a place, is treated as hostile by the people on the base, then comes in and says, oh, this thing, that thing, I know how that works. And the people on the base goes, oh, maybe you have use after all. So <laughs> then he can do what he likes. Yeah, I read. I, yeah, I understand. There's only like three people on the base, but yeah. they got like no locks on the doors. Yeah, not just be a tiny bit skeptical about this rando who just turned up out of nowhere. Yeah, but he just like wanders around the base with like no gay abandon. Yeah, like they don't even have like the you know pet swampy to like keep an eye on him. He's he's busy off doing his own thing. Yeah, he's like doing the dishes or something, or just sort of standing around getting yelled at, <laughs> not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose we should like talk about the the base crew because you've got um, the angry you know bloke in charge. You've yep. got uh, John Leeson who's perpetually worried as the the uh, techie spod man. Yeah, yeah, techie spod man who's always sort of like oh uh, and just like flipping knobs. You've got uh, Philip Maydog being eternally grumpy. As, who really uh, wanted the lead? Who wanted the lead man's job? Really? <laughs> yeah, there's been some sort of like there's some like different stories about that. I think it was yeah. it was originally offered offered the part of Thrawn, the commander, but then somebody else took it and then he sort of had to settle for this. Let's roll. I mean, this was his last time on Doctor Who, and it kind of looks like it, you know. Cause he's, yeah, he's... It just. I mean, considering that most of the time they're just sort of standing in a, in a cluster, holding drinks and moaning. Yeah, and... it's, it's like <laughs> Downton Abbey, but in a in, in a in a space base. Yeah, and just all while John Leeson's just like twiddling knobs, trying to get the picture to work. Yeah, which you know, unfortunately. It's shitty BBC micro graphics, not the future graphics, which it really should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and uh, so once we've uh, you know had Leela sort of you know captured for for five minutes, and the Doctor just wandered off, yeah. and they're uh, reunited, um, and it feels so good, and they find the plot device of the week, the uh, the mystical tome, which is <laughs> looking. In, Quite good nick, considering it seems to be stored at the bottom of a tunnel in a swampy atmosphere. Yeah, and they have book binding on this yep. moon. <laughs> like, I, I could understand if there were sort of, like, bits of, like, stone tablet or scrolls, but, you know, but they've got this, like, proper hardcover uh, bound. Yeah, book. the doctor, the doctor again, seemingly disinterested in the, the fate of these people, just drops down a hole. <laughs> Presumably into a big puddle where it can rot forever. You do hear a plop. Yeah, good use. <laughs> oh dearie me! So um, I think I've got. I've, I'm itching to talk about this, but okay. I think it's a bit Tom and a bit Mary, but I, I also I think it's the script. But these those two could not be more disinterested in this story. Yeah. It, the half arsery is just out of you know not out of control, but. Mary Tam, you know, and Tom, but I think Mary Tam particularly for me just it seems to be giving this not a lot of beans. No. 
And I hate to say it about her because I think she's a great character, but uh, uh, maybe even worse than the last story, mm-hmm. she is just quite low effort. And I don't know if that's just because of the of the whole story, and you know, I think this sort of this atmosphere seems to prevail amongst the whole crew. Mm-hmm. But these two in particular, and it, there's never maybe the strongest expression. I mean, this whole thing that you know the doctor turns up somewhere, does his thing and fucks off, and you know, no, you know, no comeback, no sort of what's going to happen next, or you know, what's going to these people. Mm-hmm. It is purely like they turn up, do their thing, and thoroughly disinterested in everything. All right, I'm talking now. Bye, and they're off. Yeah, and I don't know whether like part of this has to do like with the location filming because although like we say it's very like atmospheric and different to what we've seen it's still a marsh it is still a marsh not exactly you know glamorous it's not lanzarote you know no so i think that kind of i think it sort of like does dampen the mood uh no pun intended well yeah but um and as well i mean we, we talked about this a lot on the last key to time story the bases that are about a five minute walk apart yeah what? Again, it's it, you know it's if you if, okay you've got a different place, but you're still walking across a forest. You're just walking across a load of puddles. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't seem that uh, it, like you say it doesn't seem that different. It's not that exciting mm-hmm. up to a point. You know when you're still just sort of tromping five minutes and finding each other, and there's sort of no, they're just sort of you, you sort of feel like the doctor can't be touched in this episode. Just, yeah. he sort of shakes the haters off him and keeps going. It, it, there's kind of no threat to either of them. No, not really. I mean, the only sort of like threat really is when him, Romana, and Romdut get uh, tortured in episode three, when they've got their yeah. tied to the stockade. Yeah, um, that's the only time it seems to be. I mean, but again, it's sort of with the sort of um, with one mighty bound Jack was free kind of storytelling we've got going on here. The Doctor sort of finds a finds a power out of nowhere to get him out of the problem. Mm-hmm. He can shatter the glass on the thing and soak the roots, and we're fine now. Yeah, but it's hard to like think of how else you could have done that because, like he says, you could do with some hailstones. But if that happens, then it's a bit of a Deus Ex Machina. So yeah, but it's, I mean, if you're writing it, and this is sort of the you know we're sort of into this, it's like maybe this idea doesn't quite work, and we need to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, I mean, unfortunately, it, it's sort of a, a problem that will afflict on. Baker's later years, most definitely. Um, this kind of, like I say, this feeling of untouchability that mm. none of this is really any threat to Romana or the Doctor or their quest. No. At all. No. It's a mild inconvenience. It's a minor inconvenience, yeah. Yeah. At best. Yeah. So, shall we have a talk about dear old Kroll? The actual sort of like design and puppet of him isn't too bad. It isn't manipulated very well. No, I mean, because you just have two big arms that sort of wave, <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know, from side to side. But right. I think the fact that it hasn't got a recognisable face is quite good. Yeah. I think you, you, they're not, you're not tempted to anthropomorphise it. It's just like a massive big squid, which hasn't got, like, just got, got like a little little face, little mouth in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, really nothing, nothing else, you know. So they, at least they didn't attempt to sort of make it look like, you know, give it two eyes and a nose and, you know, sort of things like that. I don't know. Yeah. And again, like, props for the for them trying to make it, like, the biggest Doctor Who monster... Ever. Ever. Yeah. But unfortunately, because I think I think there's another problem with this story is you can clearly tell the season budget is running low. Yeah. And especially when you get to, like, the bits where Kroll's menacing the refinery. Mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it does look a bit... It's, it's a model again, isn't it? So... Yeah. Well, I mean... It... Yeah, okay. Model shots in Doctor Who are, are always sort of hit and miss, no matter what. But here, it's it's a, a specially sort of shonky. Yeah, it really is. I mean, especially when you've got the tentacles going, and they're just sort of flapping on top of the yeah, I mean, the base, like yeah. What you sort of like needed was you needed like a second model of the refinery, like like in like a bigger scale, so you could like see stuff getting like damaged and smashed. But because it's just this little model and it's sort of like filmed at a distance, also it does just like wobble slightly. You know, it's it's yeah. said this base is supposed to be like a prototype, and there's many reference to it. You know, um, like when the storm comes in and say, oh, you know, if it's if it gets too powerful, you know, the structural integrity won't hold and things like that. But it it you never really see apart from like the odd window gets smashed and a pipe getting broken open by Kroll's tentacle. No real damage happens. Not even like the set, in like the sets inside, take too much of a beating. You know, there should be like girders falling or, you know, the computer sparking like a distant Star Trek whenever the ship takes a nasty hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's there's again. It's, you know, of... they seem to be confined to a tentacle as well. Yeah, and it's it's just that sort of distinct lack of peril. Yeah. Again, and I think one of the other things as well is when, when um, I know you said Cthulhu then, when Crow appears <laughs> on the horizon, um, he, I mean, uh... it, it's fine, and but the, the line between yeah. that very sort of hard line, it makes it look like a bloody Punch and Judy show, you yeah. just feel like someone with a hand underneath it going, like that. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to say the mat, the mat's line is just yeah. oh it's bad it's not too, too hard yeah it's not too bad when he first appears but when you like start spotting it it's like oh that's not good yeah i mean to be fair to him though i mean because when i was watching the info text with the, on the dvd they were sort of saying that this, this is the way they're advised to do it mm-hmm. so i mean i don't i don't really blame them because it's, it's the best they could do under the circumstances i think and Fair enough. That it, it look if you could sort of paint that out of your mind, <laughs> it doesn't look terrible. But again, I think it's because everyone's quite underwhelmed reaction to it. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I mean, as well, it would be nice if when the Doctor sort of transforms it back, it you know gets the fifth segment back, mm-hmm. which is attributed to its enormous size. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be nice if there was a bit of. A bit of grew about the place or something that explains where all that all those bits of crawl went. Yeah, or so like just like you know, there's like a a small squids like in the marshes. The Doctor and Romana are heading back to the TARDIS. Why not a couple more? So like just like flopping around the base, just like oh shit, what happened? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but yeah. it's just it just sort of like vanishes in a puff of smoke, basically, and mm. that's it. Gone. <laughs> Gone. Don't Gone. worry about it. Yeah. <sighs> I, really, I, I, mm. I feel bad about this story because part of me wants to really like it. But for me, this is maybe the most half-assed episode of Doctor Who I have seen for a long time. Yeah. Like, explicitly half-assed. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it, you just feel like if there's a true going-through-the-motion story in, in this whole season, yeah. this is it. I mean, you just feel like everyone is tired, everyone's sick of the concept... Everyone's a bit like, you know, we need to put the Doctor in some mild peril for about an hour. At the end of the day, we'll sort it out. We know he will. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, Romana's fine. He's fine. They're fine. The key to they're fine. The key to time and peace. 
that'll do. Yeah, everything's everything turned out slightly Standard. okay. You know, yeah. Some people died, but you know, it's Doctor Who. Never shoulders, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, but so, I mean, I think this is stories like this are the reason why Doctor Who is the way it is now, right? Mm. Because you can't have all these things of the Doctor just drifts into a place, does the thing he wants to do, and then drifts out again, regardless of what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, sort it out yourselves. We're not worried about this culture. We're not worried to learn about this culture. We don't understand where we are in the time continuum, anything like that. It's it's just purely like, oh no, we've got to get the key to timepiece. We've got to get to the next week. Let's just get. Let's just do this, and that will do. Mm-hmm. But there's. If there was like one sort of silver lining to come out of the power of Kroll, for all this, <laughs> yeah. not a very good story um, written by Robert Holmes, a lot of these elements do get reused into the caves of Androzani. They do actually. So perhaps this looking back on this story galvanized everyone, basically people to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because like you say, it is quite reminiscent of that but look at how caves works as a story and how you much you learn about that society and the stakes involved and mm-hmm. You know, it's all high octane, fast paced. Um, you know, real consequences. Basically, everything in this story is not. Yeah. So and still a shit monster. And still a shit monster, but you don't care about the shit monster because <laughs> you know, I, I was when I was reading about this story, it's people. So you know, they were sort of saying in the book that every if someone watched this, wanting to dissuade, you know, this if you, you were like had someone who thought, you know, Doctor Who is you know half fast acting, it's um, stupid monsters, it's Doctor just sort of drifts in and does bugger all or doesn't do anything helpful for you know. Um, mm. Watching this is going to reinforce every single cliche you've ever had about Doctor Who ever. Yeah. And sadly, even though obviously this is about the keys to time and stuff, I'm struggling to think of what to say about this episode because you know, I was lying in bed last night and I was thinking about what I'm going to say today and I just thought, I don't know. Mm hmm. You know, we talk about Kroll, we talk a bit about, you know, the acting's all right, I suppose, and you, and obviously the sort of very strong allusions to colonialism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, I've, I haven't really got anything. No. It, it's it's there. That's all you can say about it. I mean, I, don't, I can't say Power of Kroll's bad as no, such, but, but it's it, definitely it's, not good. No, it, 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 it's, it's kind of one of my most egregious things I hate about episodes of Doctor Who like just the half arsery if it's going to be bad at least be aggressively bad you know what I mean yeah. it's when they turn up and can't be bothered and I think that it's quite clear from Mary and Tom that they're just knackered and they're like whatever just get on with it and mm-hmm. you know the the starring ca- the, the supporting cast isn't really much to write home about so mm-hmm. you know it's just a thing of like let's get out of the swamp I don't want to do the night shoot anymore let's we're done you know mm-hmm. get on with it and yeah, um, you know, I'm sorry to say it about because it, it's got things which are fun. You know, the monster is fun, and you know, the swampies are quite silly fun, and all this sort mm. of thing. But no, I don't know. So let's get out of the swamp because we have an email. Oh, bloody hell! Go on in from Shane Thomas. Hey, and he writes. First, I have to apologise for you for suggesting you review class on the pod. So far, <laughs> so far, the show's absolute garbage. Torchwood Miracle Day bad. Mm. The key factors for any TV show or film are the writing and casting. Get those right, and at worst you have something watchable. Class falls short on both counts. There are a lot of minor problems that could easily be glossed over if they got the basics right, but as Emma says, the show wants to be Buffy so bad, and so American so bad, it hurts. Mm. 
Um, the head writer Patrick Ness was is originally American, but has lived in Britain for many years and is a naturalized British, British citizen. But you wouldn't know that from watching the show. That I didn't know. Actually, I didn't know that. I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Which actually does make a lot of sense. It does. If you help I me, mean, I'll say if you haven't been through the, you know, you're going to write what you know, and I presume he went through the American school system. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Shane continues. What's so frustrating is that I think the show is an interesting idea. And there's something mm. in the basic narrative of each episode that could work, but the execution is beyond basic. It treats its audience like total simpletons. TV should be a largely show rather than tell, but class tells us everything and shows us very little. This isn't a case of it not being my thing, or me not being the target's audience, it's just bad storytelling. It's perfectly yeah. possible to tell a decent young ad- adult genre story on TV. You only have to look at the E4 show Crazy Head. If you gave class crazy heads acting and writing, it would be an enjoyable way to spend 45 minutes. That's probably what frustrates me the most. There's no good reason for class to be this shit, and you can see from the visuals that they appear to be given enough money to fund it adequately. This could have been an important book to the Doctor Who universe, especially as the main show is always a little vulnerable in the transition between showrunners. My grade for class is a definitely an F, with the F word seem very, <laughs> seeming very appropriate. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think thanks for that email, Shane. Um, and it's nice when you agree with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, because when I when, when I rang off with you last time after we d- talked about class, I mm-hmm. felt like I've been too harsh on it. But when because episode four and five had, had sort of been out, and Chuck said to me, "Oh, you know, class is on," I went, "Can't be asked, really." Yeah. If you want to watch it, go for it, but I'm not bothered, really. <laughs> so last night he watched it. I watched Matthew Stafford had highlights on YouTube. <laughs> and I had a much more pleasant time, I think. Um, well, Shane well, does say as a PPS, as, a, as I'm a completist, I'll still end up watching all of the series. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, to the, the fact that I watched every single minute of Torchwood, every minute of Miracle Day, every minute of Sarah Jane Adventures, every minute of Doctor Who that's been on Good, Bad and Indifferent, Mm-hmm. And when Chuck said to me, "Oh, we've got class to watch," I went, "Don't care." Yeah. I mean, because like, like I said to him, like, like when, as we said, as a Doctor Who fan, it has no appeal for me because there's nothing Doctor Who or you know that's adding to my knowledge of Doctor Who or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And as just a, a regular drama, it's okay, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I hate it quite on the level that Shane does, by the sounds of it. I didn't think a lot of the acting was too horrific, but I say it's just so it's just so basic high school drama, but set in England where we don't have that high the same high school thing. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you like say so if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out our class episode, um, I would say to people to just just as a, a curiosity or just to to find that maybe check out the first episode of class just to. Just to see it, just to see the doctor, because you haven't seen him for near enough a year. So that's all um, I did. So that's that's yeah, that's all. And to be honest, I was thoroughly checked out. But I mean, I say when I thought episode three was fine. Um, but yeah, but when it came to episode four and five, I was just like, don't care really. Mm. Yep. So. <laughs> oh man, we're so positive. Yay. Yes, <laughs> we do like this show, honestly. Yay. Um, but um, I just feel like I mean we'll talk about it in our um, in our wrap up show which we have in a, in a few weeks time. Um, but I think I mean it started off with a lot of promise to keep to time, but it just it isn't quite popping on all levels. And I think that part of being a fan of something like this and so it being so intrinsic to both of our lives, being mm-hmm. a Doctor Who fan, but you have to at some point hold your hands up and say, Do you know what, 
not everything's working here. So you have to sort of be honest with yourself. And I think that's the sort of part of being a fan. You have to take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, indeed. So if you have any thoughts about the power of crawl, you can send them just to them at uh, greatershow at simplysyndicated.com. We do have our Facebook account, facebook.com slash greatershowpodcast. And we have our Twitter account at greatershowpod. Uh, while you're on Super Syndicated, do check out all the other great shows we have on the network. Um, please do help us out. We do uh, need your support. For uh, £6 a month, you can subscribe to Simply Everything, which is simply everything that Simply Syndicated has ever produced. Um, we also have Patreon and PayPal, where you can uh, you know, become a, a subscriber and you can send us some money. That would be very lovely. And we have, of course, our merch store, where you can buy lots of things, and that also supports us in that manner. With that being said, thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye bye.